great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you have. So I got a text from a credit card saying that they had not authorized a charge at this convenience store. And so I look up the convenience store and it's 1,200 miles away. And so I immediately called the fraud department at the credit card company. And I've had to do this kind of thing before, but I had just the sweetest, nicest woman on the line with me who uh, went through with me various charges that were taking place over the last 48 hours on my card number. And she said, do you have your card with you? I said, yes, here it is. I pulled it right out of my wallet. I'm holding it up in the air like we're on picture phone and she can see it. And so I said, yeah, I'm in possession of my card. And so she starts going through these charges with me. And first of all, the person who had duplicated my card wherever they got it, they loved to eat because they had run up 12 different restaurant charges in 48 hours plus the convenience store thing. And so we're going through these and one after another, she said, well, is this one yours? I said, yeah. Is this one yours? Yeah. Is this one yours? I said, no. I said, where was that? And one after another after another were across the country. And so after a while, we figured out the pattern, you know, which ones were not mine. But what was funny was that whoever had the card went to a place that uh, serves food, but is more about um, adult entertainment, let's say. And there were three charges, all in relatively short order at this adult-oriented place. And and I explained that, uh, no, I had, had not been there. I haven't been in that city, and it's been a, several years. And so we went through the whole thing of, of uh, disputing the charges, and they're sending me a follow-up letter for me to sign that I say all these charges aren't mine. And amazingly enough, my new replacement credit card is already here. It's already been sent to me. And this is the second time that someone has compromised this number and has been able to, well, the, this card with a prior number, now a new number, and now I'll have another new number. And it's kind of a pain. But what was really good is that, and it's really their money, not mine, is that I did get a text when their system recognized an anomaly and I called in and we were able to shut that card down before more fraudulent use. But I'm telling you, the whoever this individual is, they sure do love to eat and drink. Laura's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Laura. Hello. How's it going, Laura? Very good. How are you? Great. How can I serve you? So 
um, my daughter and son-in-law are trying to figure out what to do with money that they were given for college. So we were wondering if it's good to diversify or do the college prepaid, do your dean's list 529s. So how old are you? the kids we're talking about? Uh, two months. Oh, wow. And these kids are definitely college material. They're both their parents have masters. All right. So you've heard me go through that protocol about how you decide on the college plans. So doing it at two months, it was a story I shared about the enormous advantage of starting a child's 529 plan in the first year of life rather than waiting as most parents do till the first year of school or later. And the additional years you have for the money to grow has a much bigger impact on how much money is available for college. Now, you raised an interesting wrinkle. Mm -hmm. And you asked about something that is fairly rare in the country, and that's prepaid college plans versus uh, just a 529 plan where you put money in and it grows kind of like a 401k and then you have it to use for college, any college. So the right the, in our state, the that's pre- what we did with our kids. You did which? We did like a state prepaid um, when they were little, and now you know they're they're in their late twenties. So it worked out well for us. So if you feel pretty confident that the kids will end up growing up in your state, will stay in that state and will be totally brainwashed that the only school for them is a state school that they can use the prepaid credits, then the prepaid program gives you certainty. You know you've bought so many semesters of tuition, and you know they have the value on the units, and you can buy so many. And so if you fit those three criteria, then doing this prepaid plan is best. On the other hand, if it's more a feeling that the kids can go where they want to when they grow up, it could be out of state, could be in state, could be private, could be uh, a state school in another state, then you're better off doing one of the dean's list plans on my 529 plan guide. Right. So that's, how do you know? (laughs) You just have to, it's one of those things you just have to use your best knowledge or best instincts where you know both our families are in the same state you know i think they plan on being here but that doesn't mean your child will stay so but you um, know if if parents have pretty much influenced you know we have provided for your college under these conditions and this money is available for you to go to state you whatever then I mean, families do that, obviously. That's why the prepaid plans exist. So if that's a comfort zone, then I think you do the prepaid. If it's not, then do a traditional 529. So if if you do have that certainty that they will stay in state, you're saying you probably get more bang for the buck? You you get more certainty for the buck. Certainty. Because you know how much how much it's going to cost, you know how much of it you've already paid, essentially. Now, where you could have taken a whole year out or two years or what over the years to come, and then you could even, in some families, end up in the position 
where all four years were already essentially pre-funded. Okay. And so that's the hard decision-making process to go through. And a family where people tend to stay in one area, grow up in that area, live in that area, then it's pretty easy to make that choice of doing a state prepaid plan. Danny's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Danny. Hi, Mr. Howard. How are you? Oh, Danny, you just violated a key rule of our show. Do you know what that is? I know, I know, but that's how my parents raised me, so that's a habit I can't get out of. So. All right, then you just got to call me Clark and ask right. them for forgiveness. All right. So, Danny, what's going on with you? So, uh, my wife and I recently sold our house, and we got a decent chunk of money from that. And I've got a substantial amount of student loans that I'm looking towards putting down some of that money from the sailor house to pay down my student loan balance. And I'm kind of curious about the best way to go about doing that. So I'm pretty excited about the opportunity for you to extinguish some of your debts. Give me the lay of the land. What do you have in debts in terms of dollar amounts and interest rates? All right, well, hold on to your chair. Um, I have about $140,000 total. All right, so um, I stand when I do this show, okay. <laughs> so I'm having to pick myself up off the floor. Um, I've got, let's see, it's about, I think it's about nine total loans that total about 140. Um, eight of them are federal. One of them is private. The private is a variable right now at six point four five. The um, federal ones range from two of them are at 7.9, three, four of them are at 6.8, and then two of them are at 4.875. Okay, so normally I would tell you take out the private loan with a variable rate because the others, you know what you're dealing with. But with the current environment we're in, I would go heavily towards that 7.9% rate. Right. And how much do you think you owe on the 7.9? Combined, those two are roughly 43. And so we have that we were planning on taking about 65 to 70 from the sale of the home to pay them down. So I was planning on throwing it at both of those, and I didn't know if I should throw it at additionally at some of that 6.8 federal or, like you said, do it at the, um, the private one. So Yeah, so I, I would take the 43 and kill the 7.9 loans. Get them just out of your life. 8%'s no fun at all because you've got enough to do that, right? Because you said you got 65 you can put towards them? Correct. Yeah, so wipe those two out. And then after that, you got 6.8 fixed, you got 6.5 variable. I think I'd, I'd go towards the private loan and put as much as you can towards that 6.5 variable. Okay. And the difference you're going to make, because you're going to go from $140,000 in student loan debt to $75,000 in student loan debt, the monthly effect of that with what your obligations are going to be on those is going to be completely different. And then how much interest they're going to throw off each month is going to be cut by more than half because you will have gotten rid of the highest interest rate loans. Right. What do you think about after paying down that chunk? Uh, you know, I, I know you're a fan of federal loans versus private, but refining basically the balance or maybe a portion of the balance into a 
private loan that has a lower interest rate, or I know one of the other options is to do a federal consolidation, but they kind of take, I think, your weighted average of what you have left. So then my 4.875. Yeah, so leave the four point. Here's what I would do. I would leave the 4.875s as they are. And with the direction of interest rates, you may be able to take down the 6.8 down uh, as much as two points or more. And then I always say that it's only worth taking a, a federal loan and making it private if you can save one and a half points. You should be able to save maybe two percentage points. Okay. And then it's worth giving up the borrower rights on a federal loan for the lack of borrower rights on the private. Gotcha. With the refi. And, you know, SoFi is the biggest player in that, and they've got competition now. Right, right. Now, what do you think about doing variable rates with those private? No. Nope. Uh, no, okay. no with, with lowered with interest rates going down, this is the time that you go into a fixed rate, not a variable. So you don't want to, at a time of where rates are going to be uh, unusually lower than normal, you don't want to be in a position where when rates start to climb again, you're paying higher variable rates. You want to fix those rates and know that that's all you're going to have to worry about for an interest rate. It's time for Clark.com slash ask where you post a question for me. And then we answer it many different ways. You could be talking directly to me. You could talk with a member of Team Clark. Or producer Joel could be asking your question for you. Yeah, Clark, Larry has a question. He says, what site do you suggest that we use to do research on specific companies to help us make more educated stock purchase decisions? Wow. Okay, that is a wide open kind of thing because how you do the research depends a lot on what criteria you want to use to determine what makes a good company to own. I think I like the um, the stock search tools on marketwatch.com. I think Schwab and Fidelity do a very good job with their uh, market research tools. But my favorite is reading 10Q reports. Yeah, Clark, Jeff's got a question. He says, my wife and I started a handy handyman business. Do I need to take credit cards? And if so, what in your opinion is the best route to go about accepting them? So there are several that you can use. I do think you should take credit cards because overwhelmingly that's what your potential customers are going to want you to do. And I think that using the Square app uh, is going to be the best way for you to do it. It's simple attachment to your cell phone. You pay 2.6% plus $0.10 per transaction for using it where you are able to swipe the person's credit card through the reader, and people don't seem to mind paying for home repairs or fix-it-up things when they're paying with a credit card. Much more they seem to mind paying with actual real money. So I would take them. Yeah, Clark Gregg's got a question. He says, you say not to give your social security number to medical providers, but what about long-term health insurance companies or medical insurance providers? What's your take there? So normally, because of the way they run background on you, they will need your social security number to do so. It will depend on the firm. Uh, Many times, if you're buying long-term care, life insurance, or whatever, in the old days, health insurance, they would run what's known as an MIB on you, a Medical Information Bureau report, and they will usually use your social 
is the way to do that. All right, Clark, Dave's got a question. He says, I'm just preparing myself. If I ever have the good fortune of winning the lottery, is it wiser to take a lump sum or to take the installments? By the way, thank you for all you do. Everybody takes the lump sum. And I actually believe so much in taking the installments. And the reason is, is that most people who get a big pile of money from an inheritance or whatever, the money just like disappears. It's like there's a hole in their pocket. So even though it's cool to have one of those giant checks, it's better if you win a huge lottery to get a smaller check every year for 30 years. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Our website's clark.com and clarkdeals.com. So this is one of the weirdest, odd financial circumstances in my lifetime. In fact, it is the weirdest, most unusual in my lifetime that we have millions of Americans who have suffered mightily financially this year with uh, periods of unemployment that have been from short to lengthy, underemployment as well. Half of people who were unemployed, half the number that were unemployed at the peak of unemployment with coronavirus earlier this year are still unemployed. I mean, this has been just so tough. I talked recently on the show about the problem of hunger in America and how we all need to do our part to help with food drives and food banks to see that our fellow Americans and especially their children don't go hungry. In the midst of that, the finances of the average American household are the best they've been in probably a couple of generations. It is stunning when you see how much money Americans have on hand right now, the amount that's in um, savings accounts and CDs and money market accounts and what is unprecedented is that the cash hoard is huge in moderate income earners in the United States all the way through to high income earners. High income earners we've talked about before that their spending overwhelmingly is discretionary and their activities they're not doing right now like travel and stuff like that Uh, but throughout american society of people who've stayed employed they have been saving money like never before the rates they can earn on their savings are really really rotten terrible right now so with the enormous amount that people have saved there's lots of opportunities here in making a long-term improvement in your personal finances so out of 
uncertainty, out of fear. If you um, think about people who are employed, who worry that they may lose their job, keeping money where people have been stashing it in low savings rate savings accounts makes perfect sense. On the other hand, if you are someone who's found your available cash to be um, much larger than it would normally be, and you aren't worried about your job, this is an opportunity for you to improve your finances for the rest of your life because you have an opportunity to establish a new mentality about investing going forward in your life. And so one thing you can do is you can pay down debt that you have, which is an opportunity to change the picture. The other thing you can do is you can step up how much investing you're doing through the options available to you at a place of work or on your own. As you hear people ask me about investing in 401ks and Roth IRAs, that sort of thing, this is an, a chance for a serious reset. Because the reality is when the all clear sounds on coronavirus, a lot of us are going to go on a spending spree. If you've committed that money to investing, maybe it'll change things forever and how you handle money. Martin is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Martin. How are you doing? Hello, Clark. It's a pleasure to speak with you. And uh, thank you for all over the years uh, that I've been listening to you, that all the money you've uh, saved our family. I really appreciate that. Well, thank you. Um, I had a quick question. Uh, now that I'm retired, I've been receiving uh, a lot of solicitation to join one of these major organizations uh, for retired individuals like myself. Um, oh, I think you can name I, them. <laughs> okay. Uh, thank you. It's uh, ARP. Okay. And uh, I, already, I already belong uh, to other organizations that have sa- uh, provide savings for members and travel and hotels and meals and things of that nature. So I was wondering uh, if there's any benefit to, uh, to join uh, that organization, uh, AARP. So, so joining AARP to get discounts is a good idea. I mean, I'll hear from people who object to AARP's nonprofit arm for what they do lobbying politically. But if that's not an issue for you, being a member of AARP is really cheap and the group membership size gets you so many different discounts. A lot of times when I'm going to stay somewhere, you know, I'll go look for special rates and I'll see what the AAA rate is, which I'm a member of AAA. You see what the AARP rate is and things like that. And often for some reason, the AARP rate will be lower than many of the other special offers that travel suppliers have. Um, There are discounts on any of a number of things where they use their membership size as a way to have a preferred vendor and get discounts for their membership. So it's really cheap. How much is it to be a member? I forgot. Uh, well, I think that they're having, uh, at least the solicitation that I've been receiving is uh, $12 special rate for that, probably the first year. And I think it goes uh, up to 15 after that. It's really inexpensive. I'd say that's very, very low. Yeah, 
if you set up for auto renew and then you'd have to remember to go in if you didn't like it, didn't use it, to go back and shut down your renewal. But I'd say it's well worth you seeing if you're going to save money being a member. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I really appreciate uh, your advice and uh, keep up the, the incredibly good work that you're doing. Well, you're kind and have a wonderful day. Thank you, sir. Take care. Bye-bye. Michelle's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Clark. How's it going? It's going pretty good. How's it going with you? Great. So good. you have uh, credit cards with nasty annual fees. Yes, How did you end I up do. with that? Well, I was trying to rebuild my credit, and I just have to brag on myself for a little bit. I went from low 600s to over 780 right now, and I'm so proud of myself. But That's um, so great. Yeah. So I, I got these credit cards to hopefully help build my credit. I literally have not used them in years other than paying this little monthly fee off. So my question is, is I am preparing to buy a house and um, I would like to cancel these cards because, like I said, I don't use them. But I wait, don't want wait to till after wait card. till after you close on the home. OK. And have you okay. gotten other what are called prime credit cards, like credit cards that for people with good credit. Now that you got great yeah. credit, yeah, I've got I've got one that is with good credit that I get points back. So I All right. try. So when, I don't like to carry a balance, so I try not to use it. But if I have to use it, then I'll get points back. All right. So after you close on the home, you should apply for another credit card, another no fee credit card. Okay. Whatever it is, you could do the city double cash where you get 2% cash back on everything. You have any accounts at Fidelity Investments, you could get yeah. their 2% cash back card. Okay. And so you get that. Then, after you've got that second card, cancel the two that have the fees that you have to pay for them. Okay. And Because you want to have at least two cards from two different issuers. Okay. And so then those cards will have no role in your life anymore. And again, congratulations. You went from six what to 780? Is that what you like, said? Like six, yeah, 620-ish to over 780. It was 785 the last time I checked it. That is great. It also means the mortgage you're going to get, you're going to get the best possible mortgage interest rates because your credit score is so, so high. John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, John. Hey, Clark Howard. How are you, sir? I am doing great, thank you. Understand you've got a question about what do you do with found money in your life? <laughs> I don't know if it's found money. I work hard for that money, but it's given money. All right. Um, What's the story? Uh, number one, I want to say thank you for all you do for the community, you know, giving out your advice out here, everybody. It's been it's great. I've told my kids about this. I said, listen. My son wants to be a financial advisor, and he's, both of my children are frugal with their money. I said, we need to listen to Clark Howard there, because he'll tell you what to do with that money. <laughs> All right, so wait, I may need to turn a child or two of mine over to you, because how you got <laughs> both your kids to be frugal, because well, my kids aren't necessarily all in that mindset. No, no, it's funny, because they've taken the opposite approach that their father took. So they sit, they learn from my mistakes. So they said, no, I'm not going to be like that, Dad. You spent too much money. <laughs> oh, so that's so, the excuse yeah, for my kids. Since, since I'm really good with my money, I've got kids who have decided that their job is to not be good with money. Huh? I, I guess that's the way it goes. They, they kind of go the opposite, right? At least that's what my, mine have done. So, okay. That's <laughs> funny. It's like, um, yeah, my question is this. All right, so I worked with a company for, say, 16 years. 
And for about 13 years, they started about a year or two before I, uh, after I was there, and then they stopped it about a year before I left. So I got about 13 years of a pension that they contributed to that I did nothing to. And now they're offering me a buyout. They want to buy me out. It's like $61,000. Or I can do nothing and take it when I'm 65. Or they'll do a, it's like $300 a month, you know, around 287 something like that a month. I could take now and uh, continue that on to the day I die. And or it's like 287 if I do the joint where my wife can, you know, take it over when I pass. All right. So what happens if you didn't name another option? What do they pay you per month if you wait till you're 65? Right at eight hundred a month if I wait till I'm sixty five, like seven eighty seven. Right at eight hundred dollars a month if I wait till I'm sixty five. So you go from two eighty seven to seven eighty seven. Correct. All right. Are you still working? I am. So it makes a lot more sense to wait till you're sixty five. Okay. Because... Well, that was my question. I kind of did the numbers and I figured, well, you're looking at about from now to say I'm fifty years old. I figure at sixty five, you're looking at about fifty four thousand. I would draw on it now. Versus if I go till I'm 80 and draw another, I'm just trying to crunch numbers. And my wife told me, don't even touch it. You leave it alone. Your wife's right. <laughs> well, I want to hear from you. No, your that. wife I said, is, I mean, listen to her. She's got it. She's got it down because, <laughs> because you start a pension now and you're like, hey, hey, I didn't think I was ever going to see a penny from these people. And I can take this money now. I'm going to get 287 a month. You probably don't need that money right now because you're working. But when you're not right. working later in your life and you've got a $787 check every month instead of a $287 check you're going to be really glad you waited okay. that was my question because I didn't know too well should I you know I know I was being under 59 and a half I take the 10% penalty I thought maybe well should I maybe cash it out take the 61,000 reinvest that nope and then not nope. pay the note. nope Don't listen to your that. wife so <laughs> just just let it sit and the companies like for you to take a cash out, but almost always, not always, but almost always, it's better for us to get that monthly check because what it generates in income for us will be greater over time than what we could generate ourselves from that lump sum. I got you. I got you. It's kind of rare to even have a pension out there that any companies anymore anyway. Exactly. So this is, this is found money. And to think that you'll have uh, roughly 10000 extra a year starting at age 65 sounds great to me. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Jack is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jack. Hello. Thank you uh, for having me on. Absolutely, Jack. I understand you are a teenager. Yes, I'm 14. And you are uh, an experienced stock market investor already. Is that accurate? 
uh, somewhat. I guess I've been investing for about two or three years. Yeah. Love that. Well, how can I help a fellow investor, but one who's 50 years younger than I am? <laughs> you don't sound like it, though. You don't look like it either. Um, well, thank but, you. <laughs> um, anyway, um, so, yeah, so I just want to know some uh, good, uh, maybe long-term stocks or stock advice uh, for the future, because uh, in the past, I've invested in certain major electronic company stocks um, and, you know, tech stocks and all the time, you know, I know they're risky. So I just want to know some that I can maybe leave leave alone for a while. Okay, great question. And I'm going to give you an answer completely opposite of the question you asked me. All right. Yeah. One of the most brilliant investing minds in modern American history is Charles Schwab, who has that big investment house, you yeah. know, with his own name on it. And he is a huge believer in something that I believe as well, that you do core and explore. And the idea is that the first of your money should go into index funds. You familiar with the term index funds? I believe so. It's where you Uh own little tiny pieces of hundreds or thousands of companies. Okay. And I like for you to look at the total stock market index or broad market index where you loan little pieces, typically of several thousand American companies. You start there where you build your long-term portfolio on dullness, just owning capitalism. And then beyond that, you buy individual stocks that matter to you. That's the explore part that you believe in. Because I never am into, I'm going to make all my money on this stock or that stock or anything like that. I want to use individual stocks just as a way to uh, go into things that I believe in. But there's more and more risk as you go more and more into individual stocks. So is you, uh, are you working yet at a job where you can do a Roth IRA? Um, yeah, I started working, uh, part-time, I guess, yeah. Great. So a Roth is where I'd like you to get to, and you can do index funds in it, or you can do something known as a target retirement fund at 14. You'd be looking at one that's, if there's a 2070 fund available yet, or 2065 or something like that, that's where you put your money. That would be a method of doing the core I was talking about. And then within it, you want, since there's no trading fees anymore, there's individual tech stocks you're interested in, buy those. But your base starts with being well diversified and then buy what you believe in after that. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.